Well, good morning. We're starting in the book of Ruth this morning. Um, last time I spoke, we concluded in Jonah, so I thought Ruth would be a good one to continue on with. So if I can ask you to turn to Ruth chapter 1 this morning. As you know, ladies, you like a good romance story. You like a wee chick flick. You like a bit of, you know, a love, a love interest there. So I'm sure you've watched plenty of chick flicks, plenty of romance films out there. You like a good Mr. Darcy character in a story. And what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is we're looking into this book here and we see all those elements within this book here. But there's also a lot more to it. There's a good plot, there's a good story, there's good characters, male and female. So there's lots of interest there. But also guys, you might not admit to the fact you like watching chick flicks, but I'm sure some of you do. And when you're sitting down with your wife's and your popcorn and your wee drink watching a chick flick, you fair enjoy it. But what we'll also say is it's not just about romance, this book of Ruth. It's about redemption. There's strong characters there. There's a good strong hero in this book as well, which we can look at, perhaps relate to, or try and achieve to be that type of person there. So it is a romance story, but it far surpasses just being a romance story. What we see is the core theme of the book of Ruth is about redemption. It's about redemption. Yes, it's a love story, but it's about redemption as well. And it's about a family, a prodigal family that goes wandering and God draws back to himself. So what we'll see is, through the story, we see two women destitute, vulnerable, lonely, they've got nothing, and they need help from out with themselves. They're helpless. They can't do anything. So I've got a few wee words here for a famous person called Bonnie Tyler. And it says, Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and dream of what I need. I need a hero. And what we see in the book of Ruth is this hero steps in and saves the day. And we see through it this man that steps in is a type of Jesus. These women are in need, they can't help themselves, but this man steps in and redeems them. The same as in our lives, we are helpless and in need and Jesus steps in and can redeem us. So until that point, until they get redeemed, they go through very, very harsh, difficult times. Like ourselves, we can go through these hard, difficult times in our lives as well. We can need rescued and redeemed, and we see the people in this book needing rescued and redeemed. So we start in the book here, we'll just read from verse 1 through to verse 7. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there for about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived her sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, that she might return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them bread. Therefore she went out from this place where she was, her and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went in the way to return to the land of Judah. So we see the context of this book here, the book of Ruth. We see it's taking place in the time of the judges. 
That was the period between um, the death of Joshua in Judges chapter 1 verse 1 through to the point of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And if we think of the time of the Judges, we know it was a very bad time of Israel's history. We see it was a, a wicked time, a time when the people were constantly away from God. And we see from verse 4 of Ruth chapter 1 here that it was about 10 years that Naomi spent in this land of Moab as well. So at the start there was a famine in Bethlehem, Judah, and then at one point there was food again, the things were turned around. So we see this kind of cycle of the people being in sin, repenting, looking to God, things getting better. Then they go back to their sin again, that kind of cycle of sin and restoration. So it was during one of these cycles that this book of Ruth must have been based on here. So again, that that's times spiritually for the, the Israelite people here. We see the book of Judges is just before Ruth, and it ends in Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the kind of time we're kind of basing Ruth on here. People were frequently forsaking their God. And we're looking at this land, we're looking at the city of Bethlehem, the area of Judah here. And we see that in the Old Testament, we see famines and things like that taking place. And they're normally a situation that God is bringing about to turn people back to him. You know, it's not a kind of punishment that I'm going to make you suffer, I'm going to withhold your rain, but it's something that God does to make people stop, assess what they're doing and look to God in their time. He needs to turn them around. We've got an example of that. We've got a verse in Isaiah 3, chapter 1. And it says, For behold, the Lord of hosts, he takes away from Jerusalem and Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. That is what God, one of the tools that he used to try and get people to turn back to him, to withhold the rain, to withhold the crops, to withhold the food in their land. So it was likely when we're looking at this book of Ruth here, the famine in question would have been something that God was doing to turn the people back to him. So we see that when Israel in general were following God, things were going well for them. But if they turned their back on God, things didn't go quite as well. We're told in Leviticus 26, verse 3 to 5, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. So things are going well. With them spiritually, go well with them materially as well. But it was conditional to them obeying what God had asked them to, to do. And it was a warning if they didn't obey the statutes and the commandments of God, then he might actually withhold the rain, withhold the crops, and that would be something that he would bring upon them. And we see that the whole reason for that was to get the people to turn back to God. Amos 4, 6 says, Lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, said the Lord. That was a tool that God was using. So here, from we're reading about this famine in Bethlehem, Judah, it's a tool that God is using to try and change the hearts of the people. And if we think about it, you know, Hebrew, in the Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. So in the house of bread, there was no bread. In the house of bread in the promised land, for it be a land full of milk and honey, there was nothing to be had. It was destitute. They had no food. They had no nourishment there. So it's quite ironic when we look at that aspect. So what should the people be doing? 
In this circumstance, God has brought about a famine. What should they be doing? We see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, it says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence amongst my people, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So what was the response in the book of Ruth here when the people had this famine come upon them? What did this family that we're looking at here in the book of Ruth do? Did they repent? Did they seek God? Did they turn things about? And we see no, they do almost the exact opposite. The leader of this family, this man Elimelech, what does he do? He doesn't seek God, actually flees from the situation. And again, Elimelech, if you look at that man's name, it means God is my king. So the man that's saying God is my king, God's bringing this this situation about, he needs to seek his king to bring about restoration, to change things about, but instead he doesn't pray and seek God and stay in that place, he flees. And I think that's a picture of what the Christian can do, what we can do as well when we go through difficult times. One minute life's going well, we're in a land flowing with milk and honey, we think things are fantastic. But then something happens and we turn our back on God and things start to go dry. We've got a bit of famine in our own lives. And instead of look to God, try to right things, try to change things, seeking God's face, putting God as our king, we turn our back and we walk somewhere else where we should never be. And we've all had those moments. But what results is we end up feeling as if we're in a famine, that we become dry. The word of God becomes lifeless and means nothing to us and our faith hits rock bottom. And it's in those times we need to apply the Second Chronicles verse here to seek God's face, to pray, pray to him, humble ourselves to seek him and continue to seek him until he brings the nourishment back, until we turn things around and God's blessings come to us once again. But just an important point here that this famine, it's not a punishment on the people. It's not a punishment, it's a tool to bring them back to him. It's not a punishment for them at all. So this is what Elimelech should have done and his two sons when they found themselves in famine. They should have stayed where they were and sought God to turn around the situation. That would have been the correct course of action, to put right what was wrong. First of all, if you want to put right something that's wrong, you need to know what you've done wrong first of all. So they should have stayed in the place and sought God till they get an answer back from him. And sometimes we look at that, that we find ourselves in a place where we know things aren't quite right with God but we're not quite sure what and it's in those times we need to actually sit down, stay for a and seek him until he answers back to us and tells us what we need to turn around and come in line with his will on. So I'm like a choice here should I stay or should I go? There's a famine in the land of Bethlehem they've heard in the land of Moab there's no issue there should I stay or should I go? If I stay there will be there will be trouble, if I go it will be double, as the song also goes. But we know on this occasion here they're going to go. But that song's not right, because it's double trouble if they leave the land of Bethlehem, which we'll find out. He should have stayed and not departed, he should have stayed where he was and kept God as his king in the promised land. But he doesn't. He ups and he leaves and he moves to this place called Moab, him, his two sons and his wife. Again, in times of trouble, God has a perfect will for us, and then we have our own will. 
There's always an easy way out when we find ourselves in a circumstance, an easier plan that we think of, an easier plan in our head. It wasn't what God wanted for this family to go up and leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Elimelech's way out was to flee, and where the fairy flee to was Moab, which is a pagan, heathen place. And you can understand it to a degree. He's in a difficult place, there's no food, there's famine, he's got a family to feed, and he's got issues actually looking after his family, making sure they're fed and nourished. So he sees another land where he can go and they can find food. And he's trying to provide for his family, and I can they think of the kind of head of my house, so to speak, if I couldn't provide for my family where I am now, and I've seen I can make a choice here and I can provide for them over in this land. I can understand why Elimelech made the choice to move, but what we see is it was a bad one. He should have stayed where he was and sought God. And it's quite interesting as well when we look at all the names within the book of Ruth. So we've got Elimelech, which means God is my king, and we've got the two sons. We've got Malon, which means sickly, and we've got Chilion, which means pining or dying. So again, we get a bit of a clue as to the, the time that Elimelech and his family were living in here that he gave birth to his children. You'd normally name your children after their characters or the circumstances of things. So he names one sickly and one dying or pining. That is the circumstance which he is in here. He's taking these sickly, pining children to somewhere else where he thinks they're going to be nourished, where they're going to be fed, where they're going to be looked after. But again, what we say is he didn't seek God in the decision. When we don't seek God in the decisions, then we can make the wrong decision. And that's what Elimelech does here. And we do the same when we don't seek God in any decisions which we have to make. So he was fleeing to Moab for a better life. And what we'll find out is a better life didn't come. One of the things we also need to understand as well is that they were leaving their land. They had their own family land. It was their land. Their name was on it. Right from the days of Joshua where their lands were divided out to the, the, the different tribes of Israel. He had family land that went down from his father to his father to his father to Elimelech. And then it would go from Elimelech down to his sons and throughout the, throughout the family line. He's actually went up and he's left his, his family land to go into a pagan land. And we've got to keep that in mind when we look at the book of Ruth here because that's quite an important part of the redemption aspect which we see in Ruth here. At this point... It looks like he's not sold his land because they're actually just going to Moab, so it seems for a, a short journey. There's famine in, in Bethlehem just now. We're going to sojourn, go for a temporary time to Moab until the famine's over. But what we see is a short time ends up being a long time. Naomi was there for about 10 years, and Elimelech dies there. He never manages to come back. And due to their decisions, due to the choices which they had made, Naomi at one point in the future is going to be forced to sell the family land and put an end to the, the family line. And that's something that's quite, quite key within the book of Ruth here. So in times of hardship, in times of famine, when we find ourselves in these troublesome times, what do we do? Do we stay where we should be, where God has planted us, or do we start looking out with the land of God, out with the promised land where we are? Do we look at other people and see what they have and long for what they've had and move towards other people's possessions and land? Or do we look at other things and seek happiness over the other side of the fence? What we see here is Elimelech looks in the wrong places. He crosses the fence to a land where he should never have been. 
In Bible commentator Matthew Henry, he, Henry, he says it this way, changing our place is seldom mending it. Changing our place is seldom mending it. The problems that Elimelech's got in the land of Bethlehem, he's still got problems in the land of Moab as well. He's not dealt with the, the matter at heart. What he should have done as the spiritual head of his family, as one of the key, key men in Bethlehem, he should have been leading the people in repentance and prayer and seeking God's face in Bethlehem. He should have been part of the solution to the problem that was there. But instead of mending the problem, it just moves itself out of the way. Likewise, if we see a problem, what do we do? Do we flee or do we send? Do we try and help and seek a solution with God's help? Elamlech didn't do that, but he should have. And what we say is Elamlech didn't change himself. He just moved himself from one location to another. And a lot of times, if we've got issues in our own lives, we will move from one land to another land to another land, thinking things are going to get better. But all we're doing is moving our location, and we're taking the problem with us, because the problem is us. It's an inward change that needs to happen, not an outward location which we need to change. So we can continue to take our famine from one land to another land to another land, because the famine's in us. We need to get ourselves correct. What are the, the word of God in our lives to bring about a crop in our hearts? That our hearts are becoming dry. And the one like we see is going to go through a whole load of heartache due to the choices that he has made here. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Elamlech means God is my king. His king would never leave him nor forsake him. But what does Elamlech do? He forsakes his king. God's not forsaken him, but he forsakes God. And he moves out from the land of blessing where he was, the promised land where he should have stayed. And how often do we do that in our lives? That we forsake God. We know God's always with us, but instead of seeking him in our hardships, we forsake him and we move away from God. And we bring about a drought in our own lives. So we see here Elamelech, he's moved to Moab, and he says it's only for a short time. Just where there's a famine on in the land of Bethlehem here, it's a short time. We're just going to stay here until things get better in our homeland. But how often in our own lives do we think, I'll just do this, I'll just do it once. I'm going to do this, I know I shouldn't do it, but it's a once-off, I'll get away with it, it'll not really matter. We know sometimes we make bad decisions or we sin, but we think it's only once, it's okay. But once turns into twice, twice turns into three times, three times turns into a habit, then the habit turns into a problem. The thing that we've initially thought, no, I'll get away with this once, becomes an issue in our life. And we see here that despite Elimelech's first intentions, just to move to Moab for a very short period of time, turns into a long duration. Likewise, when we stray into the land of sin, we think it's just going to be for a short time. Sin can hold us in a place we really don't want to be. But we make that choice to step in there and stay where we are. If we want to get back out of there, we need to seek God's face, repent and seek him, and start moving back towards God. So I'm like, he's not seeing the famine that God has brought upon Judah as the way God wanted them to see it. It was a tool that God was used to bring people back to him. 
But instead, Alan likes seeing it as a punishment. He gets away from the punishment, so to speak. And he takes his family and they leave that land there. And they settle in Moab, which is just across from the Jordan River, maybe about 30 to 50 miles, I think, something, something round about there. But the choice that Elimelech has made, things go from bad to worse once they get into this place here. Verse details that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left both her and her two sons. And then their sons took wives of the women of Moab, and the wives were Orpah and Ruth. And then eventually in verse 5 we read that both the sons die in that land of Moab as well, leaving Naomi herself with the two daughter-in-laws. So, bad to worse. There was famine in the land where they were staying, but then there was death in the land they moved to. And we see that we've got to understand how bad this Moabite nation was, these people. And we see lots of mentions of the Moabites within the Old Testament here. To understand, then we go back right to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 19, we've got the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, that Sodom and Gomorrah gets annihilated, but Lot and his family were saved. As they were brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot's wife turns back and looks, and she gets turned to the pillar of salt, leaving Lot and his two daughters. So Lot's left, he's wifeless and he's sonless, and these two daughters think, well, there's a family line to continue here, so his two daughters and two separate nights get him drunk. They sleep with them and they both become pregnant. The oldest daughter gives birth to a son, names him Moab. And that's where we get our Moabite race from. And Moab means seed of the father. So forever these people are tarred with the name of seed of the father. It's an incestuous relationship that these people are descending from. And we see in the Old Testament the Moabite people were an enemy of the Israelites. If you remember the account of Balak, the king of Moab, hiring Balaam to curse the Israelites, to put a curse upon them, but Balaam couldn't do it because obviously God's protection was upon them. But instead he tells the king of Moab, get, get all your women, get your Moabite ladies and go down and seduce the Israelites. And they did, they went down and seduced the men of Israel, bringing about a very, very harsh consequence to them. We also see that the Moabite, Moabite people oppressed Israel, and the Israel men. In Judges chapter 3, we see the king of Moab had a kind of oppression over the people for 18 years. So there was this ongoing battle between the two nations here. So yet we see Elimelech, God as king, takes himself and his family to a land that's at war with his own people. A land where the women were seductresses. There was that whole sexual perversion going on. They also worshipped a false god, Chemosh, that was quite a bloodthirsty god as well. False idols, a, a ruthless nation, a nation where they sh- really should have had no, no place in. He takes his family there to stay. So we see that the choices that he's making here are bad ones. And we see that Elimelech stays in that land far too long. It's supposed to be a short time, but it turns into a long time. So long, in fact, Elimelech, he never leaves. He dies there, no chance of returning home. And his sons marry two pagan wives as well. And we too can be guilty of settling in the wrong place as well. Something happens in our life, or we can take a step in the wrong direction. We realise that we've done something wrong. Instead of turning back and changing our bad choice, we settle where we are. We plunk our backsides down and we settle in that land where we should never be. And it's a land of compromise. 
How many compromises do I make in my life? Quite a few. How many do you make in your life? Do you turn your compromises around and bring them in line with the will of God? Seek God in repentance and get things right with him? Or do you just stay knowing you've done wrong and seeking no solution with it? We see that Elimelech has made wrong decisions here, but through this story, we see that Naomi and Ruth become redeemed, that things get turned around again, and there's a good outcome at the end. And that can happen to us too. We should never let our bad choices in the past hold us back. We just need to take them to God and allow him to take us forward despite them. So never settle where you should never be. Return home when you still have the chance. Elimelech didn't get the chance to turn back and go back home, to return back to be in the place where he should have been, and neither did his sons. We, when we've got the chance to turn things around, need to actually make the correct choices. So Elimelech dies, his sons die as well, and we see that sin has its consequences. And what ends up here is the women are left in isolation, in despair, and totally vulnerable. And we see that that's what sin can do in our lives as well. It can expose us and leave us vulnerable. And Naomi is left with these two daughter-in-laws as well. This kind of circumstance which she would never have thought about in a million years would have happened. They moved there for a better life, but then now she's left. No husband. Two, two sons are dead as well, and she's left just her and her daughter-in-laws. Not the kind of family situation which she had hoped would happen. And maybe we can relate to that as well through our lives that things happen. Something happens, kick. Something else happens, punch. Something else happens, kick. And we feel as if it's one thing after another thing after another thing. We're lacking in hope and we're full of despair. We don't know what hope we've got for the future. God willing, maybe through the book of Ruth, we can see that God has got a plan for us. Even if we feel we're getting kicked and punched and prodded in all these different areas, we can see that God knows what's happening and God can turn everything around in our lives as he did in hers as well. But what we also see is that if you remain in a country, in a land of compromise, where you've got no place being in, if you stay there, it's not due to the fact that God's not trying to get you out of there. And we see that through the book of Ruth, God's hand is on her, and he's bringing about actions to restore what's happening in this story here, to restore the choice that Naomi and the family has made. The first one is, the first thing that God is doing is, one, she lost her husband. A severe blow, a very harrowing thing to happen for Ruth. It's not for Ruth, for Naomi, sorry. But she loses her husband, but she's still got two sons, so the sons will care for her, look after her, provide for her, make sure she's got food and um, provisions. She also had her sons, so her sons would provide grandchildren, and the family name would continue on through any grandchildren, any sons that her, her sons would have. But then the second thing to happen is her sons are taken away. After ten years, we see that her sons had had no children, so no heirs to the family name here. And she's left, her and her daughter-in-laws, no grandchildren, no husband, no men. And I'm sure some of you ladies are sitting there thinking, no men, fantastic, but not the case. Back in these days, no man equals a very hard time for a woman. Women were kind of became second-class citizens to a certain degree. If there was no men on the scene, there was no work, there was no regular provisions, they weren't being cared for, protected, looked after, that they were basically in a very, very dangerous situation. Naomi had came to Moab for better living, a better life for her family, 
better chances of survival. How did things turn out? Did that happen? No, because a wrong decision was made. They should have stayed in the promised land rather than moving to a land of compromise. And we see that sometimes we can dream, we can plan, we can kind of think of, I'm going to make this choice here and things are going to be better for me and my family. But sometimes our wishes and our dreams don't plan out the way we would hope. And what we see is that God's dreams for us are bigger than the dreams that we have for ourselves. We need to seek God in all things, particularly in any choices we're making in our lives that are fairly major. So we see that God is at work to bring this family, this prodigal family, back to himself. She loses her husband, her sons die as well. And the third thing that we see happening is that news reaches Naomi's ears of back in her homeland. In verse 6 it says, She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the con- from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she hears news of back home. Somehow, as a wee coincidence, she hears news of back home that the famine had been lifted and God's blessings were back on the land again. So what had happened? Back in the land, somebody had been praying. Somebody had been seeking God. Somebody had been seeking a restoration to the famine and the drought that was taking place there. Basically, the Second Chronicles verse had been played out. The people that were called by his name humbled themselves, they prayed to God, and he restored their land. Who should have been back there at that time? Elimelech and his family should have been there. They should have been part of that solution, but instead they'd fled, had flown to Moab. They should have been there. But God allows Naomi to hear of this news. So it was, punch, your husband's dead. Punch, your sons are dead. And pull, listen to what's happening back in your homeland. So God was at work here to bring about the restoration of the bad choices that she had made, to bring her back to the land where she should have been. Now, I don't believe that God killed her husband, that God killed her sons, but he obviously used those circumstances that took place there, used them for good in her life there. So she had to turn her face back home, and that is what she did, that she heard the news and she turned back there and she was looking to the places she wanted to return to. And in our lives, that's what we need to do. If we find ourselves in compromise, we need to turn back to God. Turn our face back to God rather than turning our back towards him. Quite simple, because if we're looking somewhere, our feet are pointing that way as well. Wherever we're looking, it's where our feet are going to follow. If we're looking to compromise, we're looking to sin, working down that path. But if we look to God, we're headed on the path back to him. But for Naomi, there's a process that has to be followed here. There's things that have to take place before she gets back to the land where she should be, before things get redeemed, before her circumstances start turning around. There's things that she has to write, there's attitudes that she has to work on, um, relationships that she has to nourish and grow as well. The same that we can have in our lives as well. So what we see as well, God is doing it in the land of Bethlehem, he can do it in the land of Kaluk, he can do it in the land of Scotland, he can do it in any land. But if things are going wrong, if people are turning their back on God and things are going down a dark road, if we go back to the Second Chronicles, if we humble ourselves, look to him, pray to him, repent, turn our face towards God, that God can turn everything round about. In verse 6 we see that glimmer of hope. 
We see a glimmer of hope and we see God's hand at work here. We see that, you know, this news, this news of the homeland, this news of Bethlehem being restored, of things going good again. A lot of times when we are in a difficult circumstance, things are going bad, we're downshot, we're not sure what's going to happen, our eyes go down to the floor. We become consumed by our circumstance and we fail to look to see the hand of God on the situation. But if we look at this through the eyes of faith, we see that glimmer of hope. We see that something is happening back home. That you know we had that we can switch in our head. Something's going on there. God is at work. She has to think about things in the right context. And that's what we need to be like as well. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. And it says, we need to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. And I believe that can apply to the situation that Naomi was in here. She definitely had tribulation, but she had to have some hope and to continue steadfastly in prayer as she sought to get out of the land of compromise that she was in. And we see as well, just think we're in a we're in a kind of spiritual lull. We're in a spiritual farming, feeling a bit kind of... Pfft. Church isn't doing anything for us. The Bible's not doing anything for us. We're not sure where we're going. But we come across a Christian that tells us, you know, the amazing things that God's doing in their life. You know, how God's changed this circumstance. How they were once feeling really dry and barren, but God done this, and now they're feeling so joyful that God is moving. What does that do to us? It stirs us up, doesn't it? It stirs us up our faith gives us a glimpse of hope, a glimmer of faith in our lives. And what we say is if you are that Naomi, if you're that person in this difficult circumstance that somebody that comes along beside you and testifies to the moving of God can pull you out of the bad time that you're in, can give you that, give you that encouragement to bring you out of a difficult circumstance. And we see that the mother-in-law here, Naomi, she hears about this food being available back in her home country. She hears that, and she hears that encouragement, and that helps her to get out of the place that she's in just now, where she shouldn't be. Us, in our Christian walks, we should be the encouragers. We should be the people that can come alongside and say, God is taking me from famine to a place of abundance. Look at what God has done in my life, and we can help Naomi out of the situation that she's found herself in. So like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, Naomi and Elimelech, they dreamed of a place somewhere over the rainbow, somewhere where things are going to be wonderful and all their problems are going to disappear. This kind of wonderful, excellent place. So they moved from Bethlehem to Moab and it didn't pan out. They couldn't click their heels together again and make everything wonderful. When we make a bad choice, there's a consequence. And we need to work out the consequence. But God never leaves us. He doesn't forsake us. And he gives us the strength to take us through the consequences to our sin. He gives us the strength to turn things around and set our feet back in the road to him. So I think that kind of strikes home to me. All the kind of compromises I've made in my life or any decisions that I've made where they've been wrong ones. God doesn't just say, if you're your sin, everything's going to be wonderful. He says, if you're your sin, you're restored, but there might still be a process which you need to work out. And we see as the story continues on in the book of Ruth, there's a process that needs to be worked out in the life of Naomi and her family. What they do is they start heading back to Jerusalem. No, they don't. They start heading back towards Bethlehem. 
the place where they should have never left in the first place. Like us, when we find ourselves in a a land of compromise, we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, we went places we shouldn't be, we need to start heading back to where we know we should be heading back towards God. He'll forgive us of our sin and he'll give us the strength to right any wrongs along the way as well. So what we have here is we've got a story of bad choices, burdens, regrets, and what we see is that God can turn it all around, that we shouldn't let anything in the past hold us back. We just need to give it over to God and allow him to do some work with it. God wants to do something in your life the same as he did in the life of Naomi and Ruth as well. Ultimately, God uses the poor choices of Elimelech and Naomi. He uses their really bad choices and he turns them to the good. No matter what bad choices we've made in the past, don't let them hold you back. Give them to God and he can do something with them. He can turn them to the good as well. But as Naomi would kind of find out, when we go home and we start seeking towards God again, it takes a bit of humility. We need to actually humble ourselves before God And it might also entail a bit of a difficult journey as well. Naomi had a kind of 30 to 50 mile hard, hard journey back to Jerusalem to make. But in the end, it was going to be worth it. And God would be by her side and give her the strength to do it. What we have here is we've got the bonus of seeing the end of the story. Ruth and Naomi, they don't. They're in this difficult land just now. They've had hard things happen to them. And they know that back in the homeland of Naomi, things are going kind of well there. They're starting off on this long journey back home, not knowing what's going to happen, what the outcome is going to be. But there's a glimmer of hope. Where there's a glimmer of hope, there's a glimmer of faith as well. So no matter what difficult circumstances we have, make sure you've got a glimmer of hope and you've got a bit of faith in God. He's by your side. He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. Don't be like a limelight. Don't forsake him. Stay with him, look to him, point your face and your feet towards God and start on that path back to him and God will bring about a restoration. It's closing a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word recording the book of Ruth here. We thank you, Father, that that we can consider the choices that are made by by this family here, Lord. Father God, we think about the choices we make in our own lives, Lord, where we make the, the right choice because we look to you and we seek your face and we seek your guidance, Lord. We also think of the times, Lord, when we, we come up with our own plans, Father. We make choices apart from you, Father, and we end up, end up in places of compromise, Lord. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. We repent to you, Lord, and ask for your forgiveness when we have compromised in our Christian life, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that you offer that forgiveness to us, Lord, and that you will give us the strength and the the resolve, Father God, to to seek your face and to right any wrongs that we've done in our life. We ask you, Lord, to restore things to our lives, Father God, where where there's been a loss, where there's been a a burden, Father. We just hand these things over to you, Lord, and ask you to do something with them, Lord. We ask you, Father God, to, to reveal your hand upon our lives, Lord, to give us that glimpse and that glimmer of hope, Lord, that Despite the hard, hard circumstances, the hard, the hard situations that we might be finding ourselves in, Lord, that, that you are behind them all, Father God, that you are doing work behind the scenes, Lord, which, which are for our good, Lord, not for our harm. We thank you, Lord God, that you love us with a, a love we can't even comprehend, Lord. 
They're like in the, the life of Naomi here, Lord. You're doing things behind the scenes to, to pull her back towards you. And we thank you, Lord, that you'll do the same for us. You do the same for all your prodigal sons and daughters, Lord. You draw them back to you. We ask you, Lord, to do, do something with your word in our lives. We just ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen.